Hello and welcome to the St Emlyn's podcast. My name is Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through the highlights from December 2019. Now, you may realise that this is coming out a little bit late, but you probably also noticed there's been quite a lot going on of late. So we're all a bit corona obsessed at the moment, which is fine and bright and proper, but it's good for us to just remind ourselves that there's other stuff going on in the world as well, and some of the highlights from December are worth mentioning. So the first thing I'm going to start with is a journal club paper which we did on whether rocuronium or sucks were better for RSIs. And so this was a paper that was published in JAMA. It's a multi-centre, single-blind, non-inferiority, randomised controlled trial um, that looked exactly this, looking at rocuronium 1.2 milligrams per kilo or sucks 1 milligram per kilo. Pretty much in the UK, we've pretty much moved over mostly to rocuronium these days. And we think this is probably an old message and an old story, but it's worth having a look at. 624 patients, and they were looking to see if there was a non-inferiority margin of about 7%, which we thought was quite large, actually. So in this paper, they found that amongst patients in a French EMS pre-hospital service, they found pretty much not a huge amount of difference between them in their first attempt success. So with uh, SUCKS first pass success 79.4%, with ROC 74.6%, which wasn't enough to make a difference for them in terms of the statistical and clinically significant output. So they decided that these were essentially just the same. But arguably, 4.8% difference is quite large. And if it was a superiority trial, bizarrely, this would actually be a significant result. So it's a little bit unclear about whether or not these are entirely the same. But in our practice, and I think in the practice of most people who work in these environments, I think most of us have moved over towards rocuronium, particularly because it has a better safety profile than succimethonium. And I think essentially that's the reason why we've decided that rocuronium is the way to go. So in our practice, it's mostly rock. There are potentially a few patients around who you might want to use succin, but generally speaking, it's rocuronium. This paper really backs that up. We're then probably going to mention the fact that we also said, wow, wouldn't it be great to come along to the resuscitology course in 2020? But of course, that and sadly, the St. Emily's Live Conference have been cancelled as a result of coronavirus. So sadly, unfortunately, those courses we will bring back. um, So we consider them postponed rather than cancelled, I suppose. But at the moment, sadly, there is no St. Emily's Live and there's no resuscitology taking place at the moment. So Watch this space, we'll tell you a lot more about it as time goes by. Then had a great blog by Chris Gray on the London Trauma Conference. It was great great fun to go down there again. Some really interesting talks, particularly from people like Stephen Hearns, around how you manage risk and probability and uncertainty in really quite difficult situations. And you may know that he's recently published a book called uh, performance or peak performance under pressure. I've got to admit, I've not read it yet. Sorry, Stephen, if you're listening, but I will do. It's on my list of jobs to do. And that was a really interesting talk around how we communicate in the pre-hospital environment. And I think most of those points that were brought out are very relevant to the recess room as well. So this idea of us working under you know, significant time pressure, divided attention, all that kind of stuff. And what we on St. Emmons often call the, the time-critical information-like decision-making process. So really interesting stuff. Great presentation also from Tracy Appleyard on perimortem C-sections and managing the obstetric patient with trauma. That was really interesting and some top points there. And also some great work, of course, from the French they had Lionel Lamhout over there to talk about ECMO. Really interesting, and I see that coming in a few places in the UK. They're certainly doing it in London. Actually, remember, this is not the trauma conference. This was the pre-hospital care conference, which took place in 2019. So, yeah, linked, but actually earlier in the week from the London trauma conference, which we've also done some blogs about. We then had three blogs from the Intensive Care Society meeting in Birmingham this year. 
really worth a read. I didn't go to it myself, although the other Professor Carly, Fiona Carly, went uh, down there and did a great talk, I believe, on the intensive care management of patients with ocular disease. Really interesting. I learned loads. And so just some amazing, funky stuff with amniotic cell amniotic membrane graphs for patients with things like toxic epidermal necrolysis so if you're interested in that sort of stuff then go and have a look at those i won't go through all of the conference stuff chris gray's done some fantastic work there but i'll highlight um another blog that we put out from pete hume who's one of my colleagues here in virchester around the pseudo pea in the ed and essentially this is for us to get around the idea that patients who are supposedly pea can't feel a pulse but they've got electrical activity consistent with potentially having a pulse we really need to think about them differently and as opposed to just lumping everything together. So there are patients who have no output at all, so there's no cardiac motion, nothing, and then there is a different group of patients who've got cardiac motion, and we need to treat and think about them differently. And I think a lot of this goes back to a couple of things. One, we need to use, uh, we need to use ultrasound and cardiac arrest. We can't really manage them without, in my opinion. I know that's going to be controversial, but I think it makes such a difference to critically ill patients and cardiac arrest patients. And the other thing is that, we can think about life support in general as that, just life support, whilst we figure out what's going on. And part of the approach to PEA is that we should be aggressively looking for what the reason is, because we can work out the reason we can potentially do something about it in a focused, evidence-based way. So Pete takes us through those concepts in the in the, in the blog, and I think if you're involved in cardiac arrest, I'd like you to have a look at that. And if you're thinking about using ultrasound or using ultrasound already, I'd think about you having a look at that and seeing what you think. A really great post from Pete, who's done a couple of posts for us now. He's starting to join the, the St. Emlyn's team with Vigor and Vim. Then Charlie Reynard has done a fabulous post on the use of risk scores for cardiac chest pain. And this is a paper which is published from the group here, so led by Rick Body. And it's looking at four decision aids for the early diagnosis of acute coronary syndromes in the ED. Because you'll be familiar with things like the HEART score, the TMAX score, which is the one we developed here, TIMI and EDAX and others. And what they've done is they've managed to get cohorts where all of these scores are able to be calculated. So we can actually do a head-to-head comparison, which has not really been done before. And I'll let you go and have a read of the paper and I'll let you go and have a, um, a decision about what you think for yourself. But my unbiased which it clearly isn't unbiased because we invented it, is that the, the TMAX score or the EDAX score perform much better than the heart or the TIMI scores in risk stratifying patients with potential acute coronary syndromes in the ED. So those are the ones that we think you should be using. But again, have a look at the paper, make your own mind up and you know take the caveat that we've been involved in developing them. So we might just be a little bit biased. And then finally, this month, I want to bring your attention to the PEGED study. This is a study which was done by an old friend of ours, Professor Kirsten DeWitt, who trained in Virchester some time ago. And it's looking at whether we can change our testing thresholds for PE. Now, Dan Horner, who's our PE expert or DVT thromboembolism expert, has gone through this with a fine tooth comb and looked at whether or not we can change the way that we approach our BEDVT patients. So the premise in this was really that the paper said that we're probably over-investigating PEs, and I think that's probably true. And they suggested that we can probably reduce our thresholds for investigation and still not miss anything significant. And that's something we've talked about for a long period of time, that maybe we've got a little bit too are too worried about missing a PE and actually we're getting to the point where we've got two platelets holding hands in in a, in a bit of a pulmonary lobe. Does that really constitute a PE or are we really 
only interested in the big ones or the ones that's going to cause morbidity. So they've adjusted all the values in this and, and follow the patients through and they reckon that we can be a lot less stringent about which patients we investigate. Now Dan doesn't necessarily agree with that, there are some interesting um, observations within the study but published in the New England Journal of Medicine, diagnosed pulmonary embolism with D-dimer adjusted to clinical probability. It's a great idea, it's a great concept. So the, the idea is that you would do your pretest probabilities and on the basis of that you'd use differential D-dimer scores. So intuitively it has a lot of appeal. It is a great paper, I mean a really great paper, so I would recommend you go and read it, but also read the blog and just have a, some thoughts about whether or not mm, there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, a few caveats in there. Personally I think this is probably the way forward and I suspect we'll probably see this sort of thing coming into guidelines as we go into the future. So that was December, lots going on there, um, quite a few of the conference ones got a huge amount of information though, so have a look at them and uh, keep in touch. Obviously, we're being swamped by all things corona at the moment, but we'll try and keep other aspects of the blog going on and you know, try and keep your CPD going. We're going to be obsessed with corona, but try and keep the other aspects of your work and your education going as we go through 2020. Good luck, everybody. It's going to be a tough few months.